It's time for insight and conversations about Roddy University Athletics with the Bronx student-athletes, coaches, and administrators making news in the community, the classroom, and in competition. This is the Go Bronx Podcast. The Go Bronx Podcast is a joint production of Roddy University Athletics and the Department of Communication and Journalism's Sports Media Program. Now here's your host, A.J. Moore. Hello and welcome to the Go Bronx Podcast. I'm your host, A.J. Moore. Today we're talking about Ryder University Athletics with our Athletics Director, Don Harnum. Don, welcome to the Go Bronx Podcast. Thank you, A.J. Glad to be here. So, Don, now that we're midway through the fall semester and season, we're seeing a lot of positive news with the Bronx. Field hockey, women's soccer, golf have had some big wins, individual accomplishments. What's caught your eye so far this fall? Uh, the number one thing that's caught my eye, and it's probably a long time in saying this, is the performance of the golf team. Um, you know, Jason Barry has slowly been building a, a, a nice program, and I, I think this is the first time where we have five or six really solid players that we're not depending on any one guy. But, you know, a couple weekends ago, it, it's going to catch your eye when they shatter the school record by 10 strokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not that's absurd. Um, and they also broke the school record in a tournament, and they won a tournament for the first time since, I want to say, 2006. So that's going to catch your eye. The uh, the other thing um, that has really uh, been impressive is the play of Morgan Romano in volleyball, um, six-time Rookie of the Week. Um, she slipped a little last week because she was only co-Rookie of the Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's really been a, a, a bright spot on that team. But all, all of our fall sports have been competitive, very competitive. Um, you know, the, the key is who can get hot at the right time and can one of them pull off a championship. And they all have their challenges, you know, with uh, rider, uh, women's soccer having a great year, but they still have the Mammoth, uh, four-time mm-hmm. defending champ. Uh, field hockey has Fairfield, who's ranked 23rd in the country, then they're going to have to figure out a way to beat them to win a championship. Mm-hmm. So they all they all have their challenges. But, you know, if you think back, you know, five or six years ago, the fall was really a problem for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just got off to such a bad start because outside of field hockey, none of our fall programs were any good. And to have them all in the top half of the league right now and competing for playoff spots, competing for championships, uh, has been a really big turnaround. So field hockey has maintained that real high level of MAC play. And as you mentioned, golf, you mentioned volleyball. Just thinking about the new coaches over the last few years, we've had the programs improving. Any idea why they improved so quickly? What golf has done? What volleyball has done to really be a bright spot this fall? Well, a, a lot of it is the coach. I mean, you know, you always hear about resources, and, and I'm the first one to tell you that, yes, resources are, are really important, you know, facilities and operating budgets and scholarships, but there's nothing more powerful than a good coach. Um, it can overcome a lot of resource limitations, uh, a good coach. And, and if you look down the line, Lori's been a good coach for a long time. Charlie's turned the men's soccer program around. These were programs that were really struggling before their arrival. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is, A.J., we didn't change the resources. Uh, we've done some things to tweak and help and do some creative things, but we just, you got to get a coach that fits the school. Um, and a lot of times our f- formula has been 
uh, to hire a coach that comes from a less resourced program, whether it's a junior college, a Division II school, a Division III school, and yet had major success. Mm-hmm. And then you put them in this environment where we're giving them the Division One status and better facilities and a little bit more resources, and then you turn them loose, and, and that's the key. Um, you know, you, the biggest decisions that we make and that I make is who to hire as a coach because if you make a mistake, it can set your program back four or five years, and it causes me and my staff administratively mm-hmm. a heck of a lot of headaches. So what is the ideal rider coach? If you had to create that vision in your head, the ideal rider coach, because obviously our fall coaches are starting to do very well across the board, what's the profile of a rider well, coach? Well, the profile a lot of times has been somebody that's been successful at an under-resourced program. Um, you know, uh, Devon Ortega in softball is a great example. Uh real great success at Holy Family. She had one scholarship. She was a part-time coach, and they didn't have a field on campus. Mm -hmm. And I look at that, and there'll be some ADs that look at that and say, well, why would you hire the coach from Holy Family? Mm -hmm. I'd rather hire the coach from Villanova or the assistant at Villanova. But I I look at it and say, you know, some of those assistant coaches from the higher profile programs are used to being really resourced, and, and sometimes the name on the shirt can flat out get you a kid. Mm -hmm. I need coaches that understand that you have to work. You have to really work at recruiting. You have to schedule smart. And then player development is critical. We're not going to get the finished product in any sport. But at the end of the day, we have to beat schools that do have the finished product. Mm -hmm. So we have to finish them. So it's really a three-pronged approach is I need somebody that's a creative recruiter, that's sincere, um, that is willing to not get frustrated when three individuals in a row might tell you no. Okay, well, then the next thing is you got to find that fourth individual that might be mm-hmm. better than those three, and you got to keep at it and keep at it. Um, so connections a lot of times in, in, in recruiting areas are important. And then, you know, you got to schedule smart. Um, you know, you got to play some up games. You got to play some games you can win. And then at the end of the day, a good coach figures out a way to maximize what they have. Um, you know, with just player development is critical at this level. So what we have is obviously coaches that have that passion, desire you're talking about, but also there has been over the last five, six, seven years, a definite and visible improvement in our facilities. And as we're talking about fall improvement, it probably correlates to the growth of the turf field, outdoors, the lights. And now we have more changes on campus. If it's the track, if it's alumni facility we have for the basketball programs. What is the value those facilities have for athletics in particular, and as we are seeing wins, but also Ryder University as a whole? Yeah, I mean, all good questions and good points. Um, When I took over as the AD, uh, one of the things I said to the president, who was Mort Rosansky at the time, is, look, we have to change our facilities. We're Division One but we don't look like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you drive around TCNJ's campus and you'd think they were division one, not us. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not acceptable. That's not good. Um, and I, I, I told him, I said, one of my main strategic priorities is to get our facilities up so that when people see them, yes, they're division one. And you've probably heard me say this before, and, and it's really true. There's always 
two lenses you look at with our facilities is when we do a major enhancement like we just did in the pool or a new building like at the track or in the middle of the uh, alumni gym upgrade and expansion project the, the you, ha- you have to look at it from the daily lives of the coaches and the players does it improve the way they operate mm-hmm. uh, the perfect example is the practice facility for men's and women's basketball and while that might not be you know, the part the public sees and the glamour. But the other part that they didn't see was we couldn't even get in our own gym to practice because you had volleyball and women's basketball and men's basketball. People were practicing at 9 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a good student-athlete experience. That's not flexibility around an academic schedule. So even though that's not uh, publicly enhancing, it was critical to the way those teams operate. And then the second lens you got to look at is recruiting. Mm-hmm. Does having a practice facility when we're one of the few teams in our leagues that have one now is a recruiting tool to be able to say to a family that, hey, there's never a time where you can't get in and shoot and work on your game. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a powerful message. You know, there's never a time, whether we have an open house, a wrestling match, a volleyball game, when I was coaching, um, which is a long time ago now, I didn't take the conversation from our AD very well that we had an hour to practice today <laughs> because we had a wrestling match. Right. And my response was, hey, we got Iona tomorrow night on national TV, and you're telling me I got 45 minutes to practice? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have those conversations right. with coaches. I don't want to put those shackles on them and limitations. So, you know, and then, you know, now we're also the third lens, you know, that's creeping in more and more is – the attendance battle mm-hmm. is, you know, with electronics, with uh, technology, with ESPN3, well, it's easy to sit at home. So how do we enhance our facilities to improve the fan experience to make it worth coming to the game? Mm-hmm. Thus, the video board and things that we're trying to do in alumni gym with improving concessions and making uh, traffic flow better and more chair back seating and a luxury suite in the corner. Mm-hmm. Try to make the fan experience so even if it is snowing a little bit on a Wednesday night, you want to be in the gym not watching it on TV. So part of your job, obviously, is to oversee the athletics, the wins, the losses, the coaches, all of that from an athletic standpoint. But what about you as now a manager of people, a manager of employees with these new facilities, if it's the pool, if it's the Thompson Center, if it's the track, do you see a difference in the way our coaches go about their job, the way the student athletes perform on the field, off the field, on the court? Do you you see a difference? Has it helped raise rider athletics morale? I think it has because I think people feel like they have more of a chance to win. Um, What you don't want is your athletes going to other campuses, particularly in our league, Mm -hmm. and seeing these first-class facilities and coming back to our campus seeing something that's not mm-hmm. uh, or that's subpar. And we that's where we've really made some great strides is we probably have the best baseball field in the league. We have one of the best softball fields in the league. Uh, we have one of the best tracks in the league. Uh, alumni gym remains a challenge. You know, it's mm-hmm. got some great qualities with the atmosphere and the fact that we draw well. Um, but, you know, I, it, it is tough when they come back from Monmouth or Quinnipiac and see these massive arenas and they're walking back into a gym, which is why I'm driven to fix that issue. Uh, Because you want your athletes to feel good, you want them to feel valued, um, and you want future recruits 
to you know you got to recruiting's hard it's it's you have yep. to beat schools and it becomes a little bit of a show me race and you know one thing when i when i took over as ad i kept saying to mort was we don't have enough things athletically that we're proud to show I, and the perfect example was the the weight room at the time. It was the old fitness center, mm-hmm. and I said I said to Mort, I said when I was coaching, we would debate for a half hour whether we showed the recruit the weight room or not. <laughs> and if we did show it to him, we would always kind of say, "Hey, I know it doesn't look like much, but man, do we get it done right, in here?" Right. We, you know, and and I I said I don't want our coaches having that discussion. I want them to turn the corner and I want the place to be branded. I want it to look like a division one weight room. That was the first project we mm-hmm. did, which helped everybody. I, it's got to look like what it says it is. And we struggled with that for a lot of years, but fortunately we've been able to raise some money. Our alumni have really stepped up and help. Uh, Mort would always financially help projects as well if we took the initiative and Greg has continued mm-hmm. that. And, and Greg, uh, you know, the current president, really gets how important the look and feel of a space is, you know, to make that first impression mm-hmm. that you need in recruiting because you, you might lose them with the first impression if you don't make it. So we're talking about the improvement of rider against other MAC schools. Now let's shift gears a little bit and look at the MAC as a whole and rider spot as now they try to become bigger on a national profile with the men's and women's basketball tournament in March. That tends to be what gets a lot of people's attention is basketball, men's and women. Now the MAC tournament shifting a little bit south of here to Atlantic City, no longer in Albany and Siena. What does that do for a rider and be the Mac because these are your competitors, but you're yep. all in this boat together to make that conference rise up the rankings. Yeah, and and good questions. Um, I think for the Mac, the the as a conference, they've always looked for a neutral site. Um, Albany works when Siena is good, mm-hmm. and. If Siena gets to a final, you got three days in a row where they have eight to ten thousand people there, and the numbers work. Mm-hmm. Um, however, is it really fair that with everything that's on stake? And last year we were the perfect example. We were the four seed. Siena was the five seed, mm-hmm. and you can brand it neutral all you want. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. I laugh about it. Well, we're going to brand it neutral. Well, there was seven or eight thousand people wearing green and gold mm-hmm. at the game, um, and you know we, we're playing Siena in Albany as the better seed in front of their home crowd. Um, so that's been the struggle. But the other part is mid-major fans don't always travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a really hard time driving, even on years we were really good, driving much of a fan base to Albany. It's a four-hour ride. It's uh, a little bit cold in March, right. and uh, it's certainly not neutral. So we've been looking for a neutral site that's a little bit of a destination. Uh, and hopefully Atlantic City does that. It's Yes, it's a little further south than a lot of our MAC footprint, but we're looking for a site that has – things outside of the basketball that can attract people can you make a weekend in Mm -hmm. atlantic city with the gambling and the shopping and the dining uh and even the sports betting now Mm -hmm. um not that you can bet on the mac tournament right but you know so there is more of a chance for us i like the fact that it's an hour and 20 minutes away um you know we i think we have a chance and we're really going to promote it and work at it this year to try to drive people 
there and have a real rider contingent in Atlantic City. Because if Atlantic City doesn't work over the next three years, then Albany's right back in the mix. Right. And and now you're going to fight the same battle of is it neutral? Um, you know, so we're going to do our part. Us and Monmouth are co-hosting it. And, you know, I, I'm appealing to students, uh, alumni, uh, season ticket holders, faculty, staff, Come on, take a trip down, support it. Mm-hmm. Let's make let's let's make that place, you know, cranberry when when Ryder plays. So if you could talk about it from an athletic administration standpoint, you said make it work, and there's a lot of issues, particularly with postseason tournaments, even the large conferences, the SEC, the Big Ten. Yeah. Their their attendance is always iffy. It's not yeah. guaranteed yeah. sellout. So what is it from your standpoint or the Mac standpoint? What is it to make it work? Is it the best team is the bid for the Mac? Is it uh, butts and seats? Is it television? Is it hotel rooms? What are the factors that would make you or the other ADs in the Mac say, okay, Atlantic City worked? I think it's all the above. Um, you know, the, the TV is probably not as big a part of it. Um, all the games are going to be on ESPN Plus or ESPN 3, and the final is going to be on ESPN 2 or mm-hmm. U with the women. Um, so that's already been settled. But what makes it work, it's got to work for our partner too because Atlantic City is investing a lot of money up front in this. There's significant guarantees. Mm-hmm. So the MAC is going to make money off the MAC tournament, right. whether anybody comes or not. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't work for Atlantic City. So now we have to, you know, obviously there's going to be 22 teams going down there. There's heads and beds there. Uh, but now we got to put butts in seats mm-hmm. and we, we have to create an atmosphere. You don't want an atmosphere where there's no one there. Mm-hmm. And that's the struggle sometimes of mid-major basketball is, you know, if we had it on campus sites, I guarantee you we'd sell out every playoff game. Right. But that's not neutral. That's not how the big level does it. Um, so we're trying to figure out a way to separate ourselves from leagues like the Northeast Conference and the America East that do have most of their playoffs on mm-hmm. campus sites. Um, so, you know, again, I, I don't know of a specific goal, and, and it, a lot of it will depend on game times. We have some challenges with the tournament. It starts on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have spring break on Friday. Um it's it's you know we don't it ends on Saturday so we're not capturing a full weekend but again we're an hour and twenty minutes away can Ryder put fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred people in the stands mm-hmm. I think if both teams are pretty good which they're supposed to be this year um, I'd like to think we can do that if if you know get people on board and bus students in and and get people to support it and and it, without sounding like a threat. I look at it and say, we have to. If mm-hmm. we don't do it, I don't want to hear people complain right. that, oh, well, now why are we going to Albany? Mm-hmm. Because we we have to support this. Us and Monmouth, unfortunately, have a big responsibility in this. It, um, it is interesting if maybe this could be almost a test case for other Northeast Eastern schools, excuse me, Eastern conferences, where Las Vegas has three or four postseason yep, tournaments yep. there. And, the, and and why? And because it's, it's a destination. It's the destination. Yeah, it's so not maybe, just for the tournament. Maybe that becomes now the model yeah. where it's not just this is the heart of basketball. It is a way to get people who commonly can watch games online on television to get them to move around. So 
maybe the, maybe the Mac is a little bit ahead of the curve on the East Coast here. Yeah, I mean, we've been looking for that kind of destination for a long time, whether it's New York City, but that's expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, Newark in the Prudential Center, which is close to New York, but then you run into Seton Hall's final weekend. Um, and Atlantic City, we even ran into the wrestling championships, the statewide wrestling championships sell out. So mm -hmm. we had to move our tournament back a week. But, you know, we, and we tried neutral a couple years ago with Springfield, Mass. The problem is there's no... Mac team in Massachusetts, right. and it, it's not viewed as a destination. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you know the whole Atlantic City thing. Hopefully, is more attractive to people where they'll say, "All right, you know what? I am going to buy an all session pass and go down and see some games. Maybe gamble on some others, and mm -hmm. and uh, stay over and shop and and make." and make a nice weekend out of it. And as long as Ryder stays, I'm going to stay and, and do it. So that I like our chances of selling that right. better than I do going four hours north to Albany. That's just the reality. And, and if it's in New Jersey, people are going to listen to Atlantic City. I don't care how great of a salesperson you are. March, Siena, Albany, not a good sell. It'd be it, very it's difficult. Hard sell. Hard yeah. sells, particularly for us with it being a four-hour ride. Um, you know, so and, and Atlantic City is really committed to making this work too. Um, they've taken on a no number of sales initiatives to really promote it in the local market, so that it's not just mom, dad, uncle going to the game. Like, let's get mm -hmm. this is good basketball. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's a bid to the NCAA tournament on sure. the line, and our teams have won games in these this, these tournaments. So, uh, you know, Quinnipiac's women were in the Sweet 16. Sienna's men were in the Sweet 16 a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is a, a, a big-time college basketball tournament in, in a pretty cool place and destination. And, yeah, you got a chance to get some pretty good weather in mid-March, too. Absolutely. So, Don, as we're talking about rider athletics and we're looking at it from the bigger off-the-field, off-the-court standpoint, let's look at another big issue that's really starting to get a lot of attention and certainly one way or another something you have to address is the California legislation, the Fair Pay to Play Act, this legislation now that is going to allow college players to be compensated for their likeness. This idea that a college player can be compensated legally above the board for his or her likeness. A lot of attention given to that. So before we talk about the grand scheme of what it means for the NCAA rider, just about you, your, your decades in college athletics, are you surprised it took this long for either the government to act, other forces to get involved with this issue? Well, this issue's been brewing for 15 years, you know, I think with the whole Ed O'Bannon mm -hmm. uh, case. And, and I've said this a number of times, the, the very highest level, the Power Five, they've kind of brought this on themselves with these mega TV deals, uh, this, the escalation of coaches' salaries. Mm -hmm. So they, they've, they've brought the scrutiny of the finances mm -hmm. on themselves. But with that being said... There's still only about 30, 35 athletic departments in the country that are making a profit. Right. So there, there's a misperception out there that everybody in Division One is rolling in all this revenue. Mm -hmm. There's a select few that are. Um, I, I don't personally have an issue with someone being able to possibly monetize their status as a Division One player 
Um, I'm not sure that's going to happen here a mm-hmm. whole lot. Uh, but for example, if somebody wants, you know, is a hometown hero and they're having a great career at Ryder and they want to run a camp in their hometown and use their name and their status mm-hmm. as a Ryder player, that fine. Right. You know, that some of that is fine. And I think the NCAA is going to change their stance on it a, a, a little bit. But I, I think, AJ, what's gotten lost and somehow really undervalued in this conversation is the cost of a full scholarship and the value of mm-hmm. that. You know, I, I, I have a hard time with the narrative of everybody's taking advantage of these kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I struggle with that because a full scholarship has value sure. and education has value. We have students at Ryder that are taking loans working two or three jobs to pay for something that they value. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of our, not all of them, but, you know, the basketball players, they're on a full ride with cost of attendance, with um, uh, summer school. Uh, and, and at all these schools, they have access, you know, they're chartering planes, their locker rooms mm-hmm. are great. They have access to unlimited food. I, I don't, and, and, I don't know. Nobody's putting a gun to their head, telling them they have to play. Right. Um, and so I, I, you know, yeah, I might sound older and traditional, but hey, the cost of a scholarship has value, and somehow that has gotten lost in the narrative that you get a chance to get a free education, um, and and whatever happened to playing because you love to play? Mm-hmm. If is the only goal of playing to make money? I mean, well, I, 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 I don't know. I think you're correct in the idea we've kind of lost our vision of what Division One college athletics are because we have on television Kentucky basketball. Yeah. We have Ohio State football. Yep. We have yep. UCLA football. That's what most people see, and yep. they say, well, look at this great player for Kentucky. He could make X amount yep. of dollars, but he is very, very much in the minority. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of those ideas, what we see frames our viewpoint of a much larger perspective of yep. college athletics 300 plus division one teams that we can't let what kentucky does create the picture of every other school right and that's what's creating even more of a divide between the power five i mean a couple years ago they went with the autonomy legislation which they didn't want schools like Ryder mm-hmm. having the equal amount of vote as they did because they have a different agenda they have a different revenue stream so and i i started the conversation with saying that Hey, the Power Five brought this on themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that perception when people turn on the TV and they see Michigan have 110,000 people there right. um, saying, well, why, you know, everybody else is making money. Why can't the players? I, I get how that mm-hmm. can evolve, but I don't think, you know, what people don't realize is, you know, players are on a full ride. They're usually getting cost of attendance. The the underprivileged uh, ones are getting Pell Grants, Mm -hmm. and they're not unable to buy a meal, you know, after the game. I trust me, that locker room is catered. Uh, That charter flight home is catered. Um, So I'm, but but on the other hand, I get the other side of the argument too that if if they can somehow manage their image and likeness to make some money. My fear is that athletic departments now and coaches are going to try to manage that for them. So instead of a corporate sponsor sponsoring Kentucky basketball, they're going to break it up and say, you have to let the five starters be a 
uh, spokesman for your car dealership, and now we're going to funnel the money to them. And now you're just getting into pay-to-play and, right. and all kinds of crazy things. But I don't know where this is going to end up. I do think the NCAA realizes they have a, a problem with this. Um, I think they've already softened their language after the California bill, and now Florida's got one mm-hmm. and New York's got mm-hmm. one. I think they're going to come to some kind of a resolution that they're going to have to deal with this issue. But I do think they're going to draw the line, hard line in the sand on flat out pay to play. And you you mentioned it. It's the power uh, five schools brought that upon themselves, the big major conferences. I would almost argue it's the NCAA themselves that have done this, where there were all of these individual anecdotal cases where the players couldn't have granola bars or food in the locker room, and the NCAA steps in. This player's uh, aunt wants to travel to the game. She can't travel. These uh, heart-tugging cases tend to make us say, well, geez, the NCAA isn't listening. The NCAA doesn't understand. And this is uh, the way I would look at it is this is government biting back at the NCAA because they weren't as accommodating over the last two decades or so. They Yo, oh, oh, there's no doubt. They've been slow to move and slow to react. Um, and, and there's been some uh, definite cases regarding eligibility and those kinds of things that have really turned the public on them. But the other part that people don't realize is um, – the NCAA does give a lot of money back to schools mm-hmm. that support student-athlete welfare initiatives. Right. So they're not just sitting on all the revenue, um, you know, with, with, and, and a lot of times that doesn't get reported back. It's mm-hmm. only the one case that looks draconian and right, right. looks punitive or whatever. And, and yeah, they've, they've kind of brought some of that on themselves. But, you know, we just built um, a brand-new academic support center for all of our athletes with supplemental money from the NCAA. We can uh, take our Pell Grant athletes and make sure they get clothing if they need it or an eye doctor appointment Mm -hmm. or glasses or dental work. You know, so a lot of that does come back to the schools. Um, But... You know, it, it, so I, I understand both sides of it, mm-hmm. but I, I don't, I'm not sure it's really going to affect Ryder a whole heck of a lot at this point because we don't, we don't have the revenue to, to – we do make a revenue, mm-hmm. but I'm not so sure we make enough that we're going to be able to spread it out amongst our athletes. I would say, too, just in our remaining time with Ryder Athletic Director Don Harnum, one of the biggest misconceptions – of college athletics, if it's fans, if it's maybe even the media, if it's parents, is this idea of who's turning a profit. Yes, there's millions of dollars, but there's even more millions of dollars spent on the uh, budget. So this idea that it's a pure moneymaker, I think is a big misconception that, as you said, the schools brought it upon themselves that even though you're making money, you're spending a hell of a lot of money to stay at that level. There's an arms race going on where everybody's opening these fancy new locker rooms. And, um, you know, so, and, and a lot of the money being made is being invested in things that support student athlete success, Mm -hmm. strength coaches and uh, meal plans and uh, better means of travel. Is some of it excess? Yeah, it probably Mm -hmm. is. But 
a lot of it is being invested to make the student-athlete experience better. Mm -hmm. And as you said, there's not that many programs, uh, you know, that are really making significant revenue. We're spending more than we're making in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases. So as we finish up here, looking at just finally with Rider's Place and a changing NCAA, a changing MAC, everything, a lot of changes going on. It seems to be very good for Rider in terms of where we stand in the MAC. How now will you see the end of the fall season and lead into the winter and into the spring? How are you going to consider this a successful fall season for Ryder before we start talking or thinking about the winter? Well, you know, you'd like one or two of your teams to win a championship. That that obviously is, is um, the way you'd like to end. But I always look at it, too, is, is are, are – do do we are we competing for a championship? Mm-hmm. I, you, you don't want to get into this mentality of it's championship or bust. You want the word I use is you know everybody uses you know student athlete experience. I, I put the word competitive in there. Mm-hmm. I want them to have a positive competitive experience. You you can't provide a positive experience, and we've had this in some of our fall sports. When you're going two and fourteen every year, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, that's not a positive experience for any student athlete right. to go through. Um, you know, and occasionally it'll happen. You know, you'll have injuries and and all that. But there's also an element of luck that has to occur. I mean, people forget that last year our men's soccer team won their third championship in the last four years. At this time, they were five and nine, mm-hmm. and they and and nobody saw that championship coming. They were one game loss away from missing the playoffs right and then they snuck in and won the whole thing and then um so you just want them to finish in the the top of the league get a playoff spot have a chance to win and you think if you throw four against the wall maybe you can get one of them or two of them um and because a lot of things really have to go right to win a championship and i think that's you know, sometimes what the general public doesn't understand, you know, a lot of really good teams don't win a championship because the ball bounces the wrong way or you have a key injury at mm-hmm. the wrong time. So you just want them all going in healthy with a little positive momentum from winning, from having a good year, and then you take your chances and hope you, you can sneak one or two out. Well, we hope the momentum sticks and keeps going on with Rider Athletics in the second half of the fall semester. And hopefully we do get some of those championships or close to championships, as Don said. I'd like to thank Don Harnum for joining us with the Go Bronx podcast. Next week, we will continue the conversation about Rider Athletics. Thanks for supporting Rider University Athletics and listening to the Go Bronx podcast. For more information on Rider University Athletics, please go to GoBronx.com. And to purchase tickets for live Bronx action, go to GoBronxTix.com. To learn what Rider University's sports media program has to offer, please contact Dr. A.J. Moore at amore at rider.edu.